are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Help me out to Matthew chapter 7. I'm doing something that I should not do. I'm preaching from memory. And at my age, you should do nothing by memory. I heard of three old ladies that lived together, never married. They got older, and as they got older, they lost their memory. And Gertrude went upstairs to take a bath and got one foot in the tub and one out. Couldn't remember if she was getting in or getting out. So she yelled for Bertha to come help her, and Bertha got halfway up the steps and couldn't remember if she was going up or coming down. So she yelled for Martha to come help them. So Martha said, my poor sisters, God bless them, they can't remember anything. Said, I'm the only one in the family that's got a good memory and a good mind. She said, Thank God for a good memory, a good mind. She said, I guess I ought to knock on wood. Was that the front door or the, or the back door? She said. <laughs> well, I'm nearly that forgetful, but I'll try tonight. Let me preface my remarks by saying prayer is the most important thing a Christian can do, it's the first duty in the Christian life. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I. I exhort that, first of all, prayers, supplication with thanksgiving be made for all men, especially those in authority. Notice the language of that text. I exhort that, first of all, before you, before you preach, before you sing, before you teach a Sunday school class, before you go on your bus route, before you do anything else, first thing I want you to do, he said, is pray. The most important thing you can do. A.J. Gordon said there's more you can do after you pray, but there's nothing more you can do until you pray. And J.H. George said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. And Joe Henry Hankins had a sermon on the early church, and he said the early church had one solution to all their problems, prayer. And he's right about that. When you read through the book of Acts, it goes something like this. The prayers went up, and the power came down, and the people went out, and the prospects came in, and the preaching went on, and the persecution came, and the prayers went back up. And the power came back down, and the people went back out, and the prospects came in, and the preaching went on, the persecution came, and the prayers went up. And that's the way it is all the way through the book of Acts. I wish I could emphasize the importance of prayer. My beloved predecessor, Dr. John R. Rice, said, All your failures are prayer failures. I listened to him, and I thought to myself, You mean my failure as a preacher is a prayer failure? You mean my failure as a husband is a prayer failure? You mean if I fail as a father, it's a prayer failure? And almost as if you heard me, Dr. Rice said, Yes, all your failures are prayer failures. Then he quoted James 4, 2, You have not because you ask not. One of the most shocking things that you'll ever discover is to arrive into heaven and find all the things you could have you never received because you never bothered to ask for them. You have not because you ask not. The Bible never does say man ought always to preach and not to faint. It doesn't say man ought always to win souls and not to faint, or always to preach, or, or, or give and not to faint, or always sing and not to faint. But it says we're always to pray and not to faint. Those disciples, those nearest Jesus Christ, they saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him unstop deaf ears. They heard him preach. But they never said, Lord, teach us to heal the sick. They never said, Lord, teach us to preach like you preach. They never said, Lord, teach us to perform miracles like you perform miracles. But they did say in Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. I can't overemphasize the importance of prayer. 
All our failures are prayer failures. You have not because you ask not. Shocking what you can get for asking. Dr. Rice said, I was down in Texas trying to raise six daughters. Had an old jalopy automobile. Said thing wouldn't start half the time. I'd roll it off down the hill. Sometime it'd start, sometime it wouldn't. Said one morning I was on the way to the radio station. Thing wouldn't start. Rolled it down the hill. Didn't start then. He said, I stood behind the old car and cried and said, Dear God, I'm trying to serve you. Looks like you'd give me a new car. He said, the next Sunday morning or a few Sunday mornings later, I preached at a small church. And after the service, they took me out behind the church and said, Dr. Rice, we have something I want to show you. He said, the pastor reached in his pocket and pulled out a key. And he pointed to a brand new four-door Chevrolet sedan and said, Dr. Rice, our church thought you'd been driving a little jalopy long enough. So we bought you a brand new car. And Dr. Rice said, I couldn't enjoy driving the new car for thinking how long I'd been driving the old car when I could have had the new one a long time ago, he said. You have not because you... Help me, what? Ask not. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 said, Everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. That's verse 8. Everyone that asketh, receiveth. The uh, reason we don't get our prayers answered is because we, we don't realize what prayer really is. I love Dr. Rice's book on prayer. You ought to get it back there. 21 chapters of manual on the subject. And the title of the book is simply this, Prayer, Asking, and Receiving. I've read Dr. Schofield's notes, and Dr. Schofield says prayer is adoration and praise and thanksgiving and confession and uh, all the other. Think about a sevenfold definition of prayer. And Dr. I said, no, prayer is asking. He said, you may offer thanksgiving when you pray, or you may confess sin when you pray, but he said prayer is asking, and the answer to prayer is receiving. The folks said, Dr. Rice, is too simple. That's just too simple, they said. I had several scholars at a college say, that's too simple, that's not right. Well, I said, let's see if Dr. Rice is right, let's see if you're right. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you... And Matthew 7, 8 said, everyone that does what? So then prayer must be asking, and the answer to prayer must be receiving. Isn't that simple? You want more verses? John 16, verse 24, Jesus said, Hitherto have you asked nothing, in my name ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So prayer must be what? And John 14, verse 14 said, If you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So prayer must be what? And the answer to prayer must be receiving. We try to make it too flowery. We try to impress God with our language and, uh, and the way we form our words and the expressions we use. Dr. Rice was a stickler about prayer. Now, I don't, I don't recommend you, you, you do everything he said, but Dr. Gray knows that Dr. Rice didn't want the organ music playing while he prayed. I was in a church up in Michigan or somewhere, and the lady had been taught to play the organ very softly while he prayed. She started playing. Dr. Rice started praying. She started playing the organ. He stopped. He was kind about it. He just looked at the lady and said, Pardon me, sister. He said, Are you going to give a concert? Am I going to pray? And she said, well, Dr. Rice, you're going to pray. Well, he said, if you don't mind, hold your concert till I finish my prayer. Now we laugh at that, maybe. And I'm not against you playing the organ. In fact, if you can get the key and play that guitar while I pray, I don't care. But the truth of the matter, prayer is what? Talk to me. Prayer is what? Tell me. Asking. And when you pray, you pray, our what in heaven? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then you tell him what you want. Give us this day our daily bread. So prayer is what? Asking. All right. If I go to see my father over in North Carolina... And I want to ask him for something, so I'll take an organist with me. Don't take the guy who plays that guitar. He'll get in the wrong key, but I'll take an organist with me. And I get ready to ask my father for something in North Carolina. I get the organist to play some real sad music outside, some funeral music, you know, some tear-jerking stuff. Make daddy cry. 
And then I start praying like most of us pray on Sunday morning with the soft organ music going outside the barber shop. And I say, Thou art you, Milton Hudson, who was born in Elko, South Carolina, 79 years ago. Thou whose ne- uh, hair is falling out that looks like thy neck is blowing a bubble. Thou who didst marry Ethel Marie Bishop, had five children, two sons, three sons, two daughters. I'm the second son. He'd say, Curtis. And I'd say, what are you doing? I said, I'm asking you for $100. He said, I heard you ask for a thing. He told me how old I was, who I married, how many kids I got. I know all that stuff. He said, you slept too long on one side and your brain rolled out your ear. You got problems, boy. What's that organ music? Well, I said, well, I thought if she played that organ music real low and soft, it would help you to give me the $100 and soften your heart up a little bit. He'd say, if you want the $100, you ask for it. Now, that's why I said, you ain't going to get it. Go home. He's always that way. He wouldn't give you a dime. Your daddy like that? Always, you think money grows on trees. I never did think that. I don't know where he got that. You think I'm made out of money. I didn't think that. Now, when we pray to our Father in heaven, same thing. We pray our Father which art in heaven. And we do the same thing. We ask him what we want. Suppose my mother, down in Georgia, when she was still living, cooked a good old Georgia breakfast, scrambled eggs, country ham, red-eye gravy, and grits. Homemade blackberry jam and homemade biscuits and butter on it. Now, don't get all upset if you don't eat grits, you can't be saved. That's the praise offering in the Bible. I didn't write it. I just preach it. The praise offering is ground corn and oil. That's grits with butter on it or red-eye gravy. the one you want. And my mother fixes a great big breakfast. I get ready. I'm sitting on the north, I'm one end of the table, and I'm getting ready for a biscuit. And I say, sister, go pray the organ real soft. I'm going to ask daddy for a biscuit. So she starts praying, nearer my God to thee. And I start asking for a biscuit like you pray. And I said, there are you, Milton Hudson, sitting on the north end of the table who worked 40 hours this week, made $70.33, give your wife $20, and she went and bought gross among which was some flour and some baking powder and some buttermilk and some lard, and she worked it all together in a little tray and little round balls, put it in the oven, left it a long time, came out, by this time all the biscuits gone. No, what I do when I want a biscuit, I just say, Daddy, pass the biscuits. I heard a fellow say one time, I'm a member of the family, I just say, Pappy, pass the biscuits. Don't you see that? You have not because you what? For everyone that does what? Does what? Shocking what you can get for asking. I was driving back from over in North Carolina, Bobby Robinson's church. Driving through the mountains. And I looked down, my little needle's on empty, and I know I'm out of gas. And suddenly I realized I don't have any money in my pocket, not even a dime. Did you ever spend all the money you had? Didn't have nothing? I didn't have a dime. I said, I bet myself I'm completely out of money. I'm in the middle of the night and I'm out of gas. I didn't have an organist to play for me. So just riding along the car. I didn't say, I'm most holy and righteous heavenly God who did this, create all the world and the gasoline under the world. I'd run out of gas by the time I got all that said. All that is said, Lord, I'm out of gas. I need at least $10 worth to get me home. Would you give me $10 worth of gas? You better find a station open too while you're at it. What do you reckon happened? Next exit had a sign, middle of the night, station open, I turned in, I'm out of gas. I don't have any money. And I'm thinking, where will I get $10? Where will I get $10? And all of a sudden I realized I had gotten sword subscriptions, had a big stack of subscription envelopes, like that. And I had said to the people, put in $7 if you have change of five and two ones. If you don't have any change, put in a $10 bill, we'll give you the sword 18 months for $10. And I thought to myself, why don't I go through those envelopes and find only $10 in it? Take the $10 out, and when I get to Murfreesboro, I'll cash the check, put the $10 back in it, and that'll settle that little question. 
But I'm thinking, now, I don't know what's got a check in it, because I can't cash a check. I've got to find one with the money in it. I used to be a mailman. I know which one's got the money in them. So I go thumbing through that stack of envelopes, and I come to the one that's got $10 in it, open up, and it's got a $10 bill in it. But what do you reckon else is in that envelope? A little plain envelope with my name on the outside of it. And I opened the other little envelope within the sword envelope, and there was a little note that said, Thank you, Dr. Hudson, for all you're doing. And in there was a $10 bill. And I had an old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist robbing running up in the middle of the mountains. I said, What a God, what a God, what a God. Woo! I said, What a God! You have not because you... For everyone that does what? And I asked for $10, what did I get? You know what I began to think? No, what I began to think was, I wonder how much of my money the sort of thought they've been keeping through the years. <laughs> I've turned in thousands and thousands and thousands of envelopes and never brought any money up to the office that came out of an envelope for me. And the devil told me, they've been keeping your money. And I said, you're right, devil, they've been keeping my money. No way that only one envelope and all the thousands I turned in had an envelope in it and a note in it for me for $10. That's not right. I went back the next morning and saw the Lord, and I went down to see the fellow in subscription. Bobby Byers was down there. I said, Bobby, I want to show you something. I showed it to him. I said, how much of my money y'all been keeping down here? Well, he said, Doctor, I said, you're not going to believe this. I know you won't believe it. He said, that's the only envelope that's ever come through with another envelope in it with your name on it. Had money. If it had been any other, we'd have given it to you. I said, yeah. You expect me to believe that, don't you? He vows it's true. The only envelope ever came through. It just so happened that I'd have asked for $10, opened one envelope, not two, only one, and that's another envelope with $10 in it. You say, that's a coincidence. Wasn't that a wonderful coincidence? Yeah. You have not because you... For everyone that does what? Yeah, that's it. And then I thought I should ask for more than $10. What I asked for $10 for? I should have remembered Psalm 81.10 where it said, Open thy mouth wide, now fill it. But I said, Give me a $10 whip, Lord. $10 whip, all I need, Jesus. I should have said, Lord, give me a whole tank full and some money on the side. $10 whip. When I went to evangelism, a man came to hear me preach in Birmingham, North, uh, Birmingham Alabama. He was a visitor to the church. After the service, he said to me, I want to see you. A few minutes, if you don't mind staying around. I said, well, sure, I'll hang around. People shook my hand at the door. They left him, myself, and his wife went in the office. He said, I heard you preach several years ago. He said, I never want a soul to Christ, so I heard you preach. He said, I went back home to win people to Christ. He said, I've sold all my businesses. I'm retired now. All I do is win souls to Christ. He said, I said to my wife, that boy ever needs anything, I'm going to help him. He said, you need anything? You know, you ask a preacher, he needs anything, he'll think up something in a hurry. So I'm thinking, i got to answer this guy. I need anything? I said, yeah, well, yeah, I need a lot of things. What do you need? Well, I said, I've just gone into evangelism. I need an advanced man to work for me. And I said, I don't mind living by faith for myself and my family, but I don't live by faith for another guy's family. I said, I need enough money to pay a man a salary. If I had enough money to pay him a salary for a year, or almost a year, I'd hire him tomorrow and send him out in some of these meetings to visit some churches. He said, how much are you thinking about? I just threw out a figure. I said, $20,000. He looked at his wife and said, write him out a check for $20,000. I walked out, oh, it's a $20,000 check. And man, I, I was getting ahead of an old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal fit. And I learned he made his first million in 1961. 
And I said, $20,000. I'm still mad about it. I wish I had to. I said, I said do you need anything? Yeah, yeah. I need a million and a half. This week. I need some more next week. Since then, the guy's given away hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I only got $20,000 because that's all I asked for. $20,000. $20,000. we got too many sucker-mouth Christians. Lord, give me another dollar next week. Open your mouth. Why? Now, isn't it funny? God has to command us to pray. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me. He's commanding you. Pray. Ask me for things. I'll show you things you don't even know about. And when you ask, open your mouth. Why? And we sit around and do without when God's got everything we need and more. Shocking what you can get for asking. I flew home. I flew down to, to Miami and to Dallas and back home. My wife met me at the airport. Had my briefcase in my hand. And she surprised my son wasn't living near us then, so he'd driven up with his new wife, and they hid behind a little ball. And my wife met, we hugged and kissed. I think you all do that occasionally. And so uh, she called Tony and Tracy out, and always excited. And then my wife said, let me, let me have the briefcase. Said, you and Tony get the other luggage. I said, no, honey. I said, my life is in that briefcase. You can't have the briefcase. Well, she said, Curtis... I can take care of it as good as you can. I said, well, I'd rather keep it myself. I said, I've got two hours dictation in there. I've got money from two uh, places where I've sold books. I've got, oh, probably a couple hundred sold subscriptions there. I can't afford to lose that briefcase. And you know how women do. She said, Curtis, I'm no child. I'm not a child. All right, I can keep it good as you can. And she grabbed it and jerked it out of my hand. And she and Tracy went over and sat down. And what do you think they began to do? Talk. They just talked. And me and Tony got the other luggage, and we said, ready to go. And out they came, got in the car, off to Murfreesboro, down the highway, got home. We sat and talked about midnight, started to bed and down the hall. And all of a sudden, my wife said, ah! And I thought, she, she's gone crazy. The poor thing's gone crazy. I said, what is it? She said, your briefcase. She said, I left it at the airport. Oh, my stomach went way down. I thought I'd die. I said, how in the world can I find out who subscribed to this Lord? How can I explain about all those checks that we can't turn in that got lost in the envelopes and the books there? What am I going to do? I said, you're kidding me, Jerry. No, she said, it's there. I said, no. Mm-mm. I said, you're not a child. You're a grown woman. It's not there. <laughs> not trying to be funny. I said, I'm not trying to be funny. You told me you was a grown woman. You're not a child. You wouldn't have left it. I know you couldn't have left it. Was I mad? Was I mad? Are you crazy? I was mad. Did I think about divorce? No, but I thought about murder. She said, I'll call the airport. I said, forget the airport. I mean, you don't leave a briefcase laying around in an airport. Not for three or four hours. I said, the thing's gone now. It's not there. No way it'll ever be there. I said, I, I sat one down one time in Jacksonville, Florida, by the way. And look back and it's gone. Time I look back, it's gone. I said, it's gone. I said, my dictation's gone. All that money's gone. The sword envelopes are gone. People won't get the sword. They won't know what's going on. They'll think I'm ripping them off. I said, you've ruined me. You've ruined my life. I've got to quit the ministry. It's because of you. You've ruined my life. She said, I'll call him. I said, forget it. I'll go up there. Where were you sitting? She said, I left it right where Tracy and I were sitting. I said, I'll drive her to the airport, but I need not do it. It's not there. My son woke her to us talking. He said, I'll go with you, Dad. He got up, got in the car, up the highway, went. We got near the airport. Tony said, Daddy, you going to pray about it? 
Did you ever not want to pray about something because you knew it couldn't happen? And I didn't want to pray and have my son think God didn't answer my prayers. So I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. He said, well, you ought to pray about it. I said, there's no use to pray about it, Tony. I said, that's dumb to pray about it. I mean, that's like going around a curb 90 miles an hour and pray you won't turn over. You're going to turn over, pray or not pray. That's like putting the 38 pistol in your head and pulling the trigger and pray you won't get a headache. That's dumb. It's going to hurt. I said, the prayer will be there. It's been there for a while. It's still going out and some dope and it's got all that money and he's thought he's hit the jackpot. He's still tearing them envelopes open. I didn't see him now ripping open getting the money out. And I probably had another envelope one of them too and got my money too. He said, you ought to pray. And I said, I'm not praying. He said, you ought to pray. I said, I'm not praying, Tony. I said, if you want to pray, you pray. He said, I'm not going to pray. He said, well, it won't hurt to pray. I said, that's right, it won't hurt to pray. Like the Jewish mother, they called her and told her that her, that her uncle Abraham had died. She said, give him the chicken soup. They said, Mama, he died. She said, well, it won't hurt him. Tony said, it won't hurt to pray. Go ahead and pray. I said, all right, I'm going to pray, but I want you to know that I don't expect it to be there, but I'm going to pray and uh, just to satisfy you. He said, all right, so I begin to pray. Didn't have no organist. I wish I had one. I'd like to play some dreadful tune because I felt terrible. But I just prayed with my eyes open right up the road. I said, Lord, that's your money in that briefcase. That's not my money. I said, them precious people subscribe to the sword not going to get it. I said, you, if you want some dope at it to get that briefcase and get that money and get it high on it, I said, you let them do it. I said, it's your money, not mine. I said, if you wanted to, you could take care of that money. It's your money. I said, if you wanted to, you could put angels around that briefcase and have them there when I arrived. The briefcase would be there. The more I prayed, the better I felt about it. I stopped in front of the airport, ran up the ramp to the level where we had left the briefcase. And my wife, excuse me, my wife left the briefcase. And I started down towards the little waiting area, and a policeman grabbed me and said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going down yonder to get my briefcase. He said, Is that your brown briefcase over there? Oh, that was a good sound to me. I said, Yes, it's my brown briefcase. Did you leave it? I said, No, my wife left it. She's a grown woman. She left it. <laughs> he said, Come on, go me. I walked over there. There was three policemen sitting there looking at the briefcase, guarding it. They had sent for the bomb squad to come. They didn't want to fool with it. And they were watching the bomb squad got there. And they was afraid of me to open it up. They'd watch very carefully while I opened it up. And I told them what was in it. Folks watching, I said, there's a Bible in it? There's money in it? What's the money for? I told them what it's for. Described the whole thing. They said, well, open it up. Open it up and showed it to them. Closed it back out of there. Went back home. Had another old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist robbing running pit. And flush it taught it seven times when I got home. I was so excited. What a God! What a Savior! You have not because you... For everyone that does what? And open your mouth! What? Now, fill it. Shocking what you can get for asking. Old Dr. Rice had these women's jubilees. How many ladies have been to women's jubilee? Anybody? And in every jubilee, Dr. Rice preached a little sermon on Hannah. And he said, Hannah didn't have a child. Said she prayed and asked God to give her a boy. I said, you give me a boy, I'll give him back to you. Yeah? Yeah? Then he'd, he'd give his invitation like this. He'd say, now, how many ladies are here? And you and your husband agree that you want a child, but so far God hasn't given you a child. He said, if you'll stand, I'll pray that God will give you a child. 
And all over the countryside, ladies stood and Dr. Rice prayed for them. I was in Virginia and a lady came up to me and said, I was in one of Dr. Rice's last few beliefs. And said, I stood, he prayed for me. And she said, reckon how many children I have. I said, I don't know. She said, six and another one on the way. And her husband said, is there any way we could change that prayer? I said, talk to Dr. Rice about that. He knocked a hole in heaven and you can't plug it up. You may have 20 before you get through. But the last Jubilee I was in with him was Rama Road Baptist Church in, uh, in Wadsworth, Ohio. 800. 800 ladies in the meeting. Dr. Rice was now pretty feeble in a wheelchair. And he said, now, Hannah wanted a baby. And she prayed God gave her a baby. Yeah. He wouldn't do that for you, would he? Oh, oh. And he preached on and shamed them. Finally, he said, now, if you were here, you and your husband agree you want a child. But he didn't get his invitation right. He meant to say that. But instead of saying, if you want a baby, stand, he said, let's all stand for prayer. And 800 unsuspecting ladies stood. And Dr. Rice began to pray, now, dear God, <laughs> I pray you give every one of these baby, ladies standing a baby. I never heard so many groans and sighs in my life. I heard one of them say, Oh, God, I misunderstood the invitation. Oh, God, I got all the babies I need. Please, I don't need no more babies. And one lady in a wheelchair, her face turned white. And she turned the wheelchair around and rolled out of the aisle, and she left. She ain't never been back to a Jubilee since. They were darting under pews. They was dodging Dr. Rice's prayer like dodging bullets. Did you know I even sat down? I was afraid I might have a baby. You have not because you... For everyone that does what? And open your mouth high? And I'll do what? Amen. Shocking what you can get for asking. Amazing. In my town, there lived a man named Cameron V. Thompson. You mean Cameron? Cameron V. Thompson? He wrote a little book entitled Master Secrets of Prayer, just a little book that Back to the Bible Publishers published it. I read it. I learned a lot about prayer in the little booklet. I was stunned one Sunday evening after the service when someone came to me and said, I want you to meet a lady and her three daughters. And they brought to the front a lady named Miss Cameron V. Thompson and her three daughters, Faith, Joy, and Hope. And when she said Faith, Joy, and Hope, I did the same thing you'd have done. I said, Where's Charity? And she smiled and said, that's what they used to ask Cam. And he'd always say, if we have another one, we'll be on charity. I said, was Cameron Thompson your husband? She said, oh, yes. I wish you had known him, Brother Curtis. He lived by prayer. Oh, she said. She said he'd stack his bills up. Wouldn't he add him up? And just tell God, you know how much you are. Send him the money. He said, God always sent the money in. She said, went to the Union Station. That's the train station in Atlanta. And said, Cam ordered a ticket and didn't have any money in his pocket, not even a dime, but ordered a ticket with no money. Said, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I wasn't going to say anything. I watched. And she said, while the lady's writing the ticket out, a man came through the station and recognized Cam and stopped and began to talk to him. While they were talking, the lady laid the ticket up and said, there'll be so many dollars. And she said, Cam reached into an empty pocket and said, I was watching what was going to happen. And said, the man reached over and took him by the wrist and pulled his hand out of the pocket. And said, no, Cam, let me pay for this one. Now, don't you go to the airport and order a ticket with no money and tell him I sent you. I'm telling you what Cam Thompson did in the Union Station in Atlanta, Georgia.
That's the way he lived. And his little daughters heard him pray for so much and get it. They thought they could do it. And one day, Joy saw a doll in the window. And she said, Daddy, how much is that doll? He said, $4.98. And as a child would think, she said, how many pennies is that? He said, 498 pennies. She said, would you pray with me that God will give me 498 pennies? And he said, yes. And they prayed and Cam forgot the prayer. Till a few mornings later, someone knocked on the front door of the Thompson residence. When Mrs. Thompson opened the door, there stood a lady with a jug filled with pennies. She said, Mrs. Thompson, I've been dropping pennies in this jug for months, and this morning I put, tried to put some more pennies in, and I found it was full. I could get no more pennies in the jug. She said, I prayed and asked God what I should do with it, and I thought of your daughter Joy. Would you object if we gave Joy these pennies? And she said, no. And so she called Joy, but the jug was too heavy for Joy, so she called her father, and Cam came and got the jug and took it back to Joy's bedroom and dumped the pennies on the floor, as kids will do, and began to count. And reckon how many pennies was in that jug. Not 496, not 497, not 499, not 500. To the penny, exactly 498 pennies in the jug. What a coincidence! No! It's God doing what He said He would do. You have not because you... Hey, did you know the possibility of prayer exceeds your ability to ask? Ephesians 3.20 says, Unto him that's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think. The possibilities of prayer exceed your ability to ask and your ability to even think. It's amazing. But prayer is so simple. Prayer is what? And the answer to prayer is what? And you have not because you what? For everyone that does what? Does what? And open your mouth how? And I'll do what? Isn't that simple stuff? Isn't that simple stuff? I said Dr. Rice was a stickler about prayer. He called a man to pray in a meeting. He could be mean when he wanted to. And the preacher prayed a beautiful prayer. He must have quoted a hundred Bible verses and gave the references. Lord, we do know that you said in John 14, 14, if you'll ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And you did say in Matthew 7, verse 8, everyone that asketh receiveth. And you did say in James 4, 2, we have not because we ask not. And he quoted verse after verse. He finished praying. Dr. Rice said to the preacher, I know that you quote a lot of Bible verses when you pray. And the proud preacher said, Yes, I do. And Dr. I said, I noticed you gave the Lord the Scripture reference so he could find it in his Bible up in heaven, too. And the embarrassed preacher said, Dr. I, I gave the Scripture references for the people. And Dr. I said, that's what's wrong with your prayer. It was a bunch of rigmarole. He said, you wasn't talking to God at all. You was talking to the people. Huh? Does that hurt us? We're like the little girl who prayed last Christmas. Lord, give me a new doll and a dollhouse and a tea set. And she screamed and yelled. And her mother said, quit yelling so hard. God's not hard to hear it. She said, I know it, but grandmother is. Yeah, she wasn't talking to God. She was talking to grandma. I prayed a lot of prayers to deacons. Have you ever done that? Lord, we just know there's a deacon back yonder with a blue suit on. He's got a hundred dollars in his pocket. They ought to give him this offering. We're guilty of that sometimes. Prayer is simple stuff. Prayer is asking. The answer to prayer is receiving. Now, something else. I'll give you one more thing. I've got to stop. My time's up in four minutes, six minutes. Depending on which clock you look at. Here's the most important lesson I ever learned about prayer. I got it from Dr. Rice. It's the 14th chapter in his book. He's in the Highland Park Baptist Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. He said, now the Bible said, everyone that asketh, receive it. He said, how many here have ever asked for something and didn't get it? Raise your hand. So I'll ask you that. Now, don't lie. How many ever asked God for something to get it? Raise your hand. 
Didn't get it. You asked and didn't get it. Be honest. I've asked some and didn't get it. Come on, get it up. I know you don't. How many ever prayed before? Raise your hand. Okay. When Dr. Rice did that, hands went up all over the building. And Dr. Rice said, oh, oh, we said, we got a problem. He said, the verse that everyone that asketh receiveth. And we all asked and we didn't get it. We got a problem, he said. Something wrong with the Bible. Well, I said, nothing wrong with the Bible. The problem with our understanding of the Bible. It doesn't mean if you ask one time, you get it. He said, ask it is in a continual sense. It means if you keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking, you will receive. And then he, Dr. Rice said this, and I, I never will forget it, and I hope you won't forget it. He said, if you'll ask for something and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and keep asking, one of two things will happen. God will either give it to you or God will change your prayer. And I'm keep listening to what he's going to say next. Then he said, Paul is an example. He said, Paul besought the Lord, help me, thrice, that he'd move the thorn out of the flesh. Can you hear Paul praying? Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh, and if you'll heal me, Lord, and take this thorn out, I, I can preach a lot better. But God didn't move the thorn, so Paul knew if he keeps on asking, he'd receive. So he said, same Paul, same prayer, didn't change it at all. I got this thorn in my flesh. If you'll heal me, Lord, I can preach better and serve you better. Now heal me, Jesus. He didn't heal him, but Paul knew if you keep on asking, you'd receive. So he prayed the third time, right or wrong. Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh, now heal me. I'll be a better preacher if you'll heal me, Lord. But God didn't heal him. But God said so he's going to keep on praying till he got it. So God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That weak area you're trying to get me to take away from you, my strength perfected through that weak area. And it's almost like Paul said, Well, I didn't understand that. If you don't mind, let's change the prayer. And Paul never asked the fourth time for God to move the thorn. But he began to pray like this. Most glad of therefore I glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, I said, I got me something. Thank you, Dr. Rice. I got me something now. I don't know if I get a hold of something I want from God. I just keep asking and asking and asking until God either gives it to me or changes my prayer. How many times we give up maybe just before we get a gusher answer to prayer? An insurance salesman called on a man, and the secretary buzzed his office and said, an insurance man here to see you. He said, I don't have time for him. He said, throw him out. An hour later, the insurance man went back. She buzzed the boss, said, a second, uh, an insurance man here to see you. He said, throw him out on the time to see him. She threw him out. An hour later, he went back. Insurance man here to see you. He said, I don't have time to see him. He said, throw him out. He went there every hour on the hour for seven hours. Seven times he went. And just before the office closed, he went back. And the secretary buzzed and said, an insurance man here to see you. He said, well, send him in. I'll see him. And he went in and they made friendship just real quick. Got to talking to each other. And he sold him a great big insurance policy for the company. He started to leave, and the boss said, Hey, let me tell you something. He said, You're a lucky fella. He said, I've thrown seven insurance men out of this office today. He smiled said, I know it. I was all seven of them. But he didn't quit. He kept on asking and kept on asking and kept on asking and kept on asking. A man drilling for oil down in Texas drilled and drilled and drilled. And finally he pulled the drill out and said, I'm through wasting money on this old dry well. He quit. And months later, somebody else came through the same area, dropped a drill in the same hole, drilled a few more feet, and struck a gusher. I wonder how many times we've been that close to a gusher, answered a prayer, and we pulled the drill out and quit asking. Maybe you've been praying for something about school. Maybe you've been praying for something about your church. 
They've been praying something about your family. And the devil said, I'd give up. I'd quit. You're never going to get it. So you just quit praying. No, I wouldn't quit. I'd start back and say, I'm going to keep asking and asking and asking until I either get it or God changes my prayer. You have not because you... For everyone that does what? And open your mouth out. And I'll do what? Fill it. That's it. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.